0: My name is Karen H., and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is June 16, 2005. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor, and I sponsor. And um, I don't, I think that's really important to say, because to this day, I still call my sponsor. And run my great ideas past her you know and we have a really good relationship today and um, if she doesn't have the answer she'll go to her sponsor and like Sandy said my my home group is newbie Tuesdays that means at 7 p.m. on Wednesday night if you're ever out there come by and see us um, oh Tuesday nights did I just say Wednesday night oh this is gonna be <laughs> keep me honest ladies and so yeah right so, you know, I'm going to share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today, you know, and I can't blame my family. I I was adopted into a beautiful uh middle middle class family. I had a really good childhood growing up. You know, but it was me inside that I never felt really like a part of. There was always something I had to be better than or I had to get here and I would be approved of and you know, it wasn't until um, my eighth grade year, my sister had gotten married, and that was in 1977, and uh, she, we had uh, a party at the reception of her wedding um, at our house, and I remember stealing a couple bottles of champagne that night, and I thought it was a really cool idea, and I invited some of the neighborhood boys over and one other girl, and I remember when that um, champagne touched her lips, she went, Ugh. and I was like. let me try it and it was like game on from the first time I got drunk I loved the effect produced by alcohol for me it gave me that sense that everything was okay I, I look back at it now and I really did use it as my liquid courage in life growing up you know and my alcoholism from then really progressed from the eighth grade going into high school the next year I really struggled in between um, being top of the class and then hanging out with my party friends, because I have a whole new group of friends now. Mm. And I lived, I've been born and raised up in Fairfield, California, which is the North Bay um, area from San Francisco. It's in between San Francisco and Sacramento. And we had a lake up there called Lake Berryessa. Mm. And that was a place in high school a lot of times. We joked about it, calling it, well, we're going to graduate from high school of Lake Berryessa. But that's what we would do. We would, You know, party, get in the truck, drive up the windy, crazy roads, and party some more, and then come home. Um, By my 10th grade year, I had gotten in a huge fight, and I got my butt kicked, and had black eyes. And I was so um, horrified by these friends that I thought were my friends, and uh, I refused to go to high school. I didn't go to school that's how big my ego was really it was more being uh, you know a case of humility I couldn't face my peers in high school so what I decided to do was I ended up going to Fairfield Susun Adult School and I at 17 um, I attended there for like a year and a half got my GED and that year was pretty important not only did I get my GED I got a fake ID my name became Penelope Sue Gomez. And it got me into the local bars. You know. And I think it's easier for women to dress that part and kind of, you know, we can put our makeup on and look a little bit older. And that's what I did at 17 with my GED. I started hitting the local bars. It's not a good place for a girl that has low self-esteem and likes to drink. you know. And um, my drinking progressed even there uh, pretty fast. Um, by the time I was 20... I ended up, in this order, getting pregnant, getting married, having the baby, and within a month, leaving him. It was a very dysfunctional marriage. It was a very scary marriage, and I absolutely got to see my part in the in my fifth step, sharing it with my sponsor. Um, and there are no mistakes. I have one beautiful son today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with that being said, I ended up moving back home. Um, and I nursed him for a while, you know, I didn't drink when I was pregnant and I've heard this of other women, which just amazes me. Um, I think I had like one half a glass of champagne at our wedding or something when I was a couple months pregnant, but I, I didn't have a problem because I had another living being inside me. I don't know if that's what it was or what, but at about, um, I soon after I moved home back in with my parents, cause I left my husband, I ended, I was going to be 21 in, in a couple months. So I was nursing my child at that time. I quit nursing so I could drink at 21 legally at the bars, which if you're going to some of the bars when you're 17 and you go back to celebrate your 21st birthday, isn't a good idea. They were not real happy to see me. So I found some really other bars out in the middle of the country that you can hang clothing up on the ceilings and it smelled like cigarettes and alcohol and those were the kind of places I liked to frequent. The lower the bar, the better it was. I really liked it. I, I felt comfortable in there. Um, that lasted for a little bit. What I would do living with my parents is I remember saying, hey, I need to go run to the store for diapers. And I would get in my car, and I would in my head I'm like, I'm just going to go to that tavern, I'm just going to have one drink. And I would be on a three-day run. I wouldn't come home for days the effect of alcohol had taken over, Um, you know, and it was stronger than the love of my own child at that point. Um, And for the first time, my mom, who has been a great enabler, stood up to me and said, Karen, if you don't get your act together, we're going to fight for full custody of your son. So for whatever reason, um, my solution always is cut and run. So I moved out, and I got a job. You know, but that didn't stop me drinking. What it did is that I became a very good hider. <laughs> very good hider. And I ended up meeting another gal at one of the jobs I worked with that had a teenage daughter that was old enough to babysit my son. And that was really something, because we would party five days a week, six days a week, and that was my life for a couple years. Um, the only geographic I did... My son was in the fourth grade, and I worked for an agriculture company, and they relocated me up to Bend, Oregon. Uh, Their office was going to close, and they wanted to keep the uh, customer service a good rapport with them up there. And that's the only geographical I really made. Um, And so I thought, you know what? This will give me a great start. I won't drink. I'll move to Bend, Oregon, where I don't know anybody. And that's what I did. So I get to Oregon, and I don't know if any of you have ever substituted something for alcohol, but I dove into my work. I would bring my work home with me. My poor son. I mean, we didn't even, I mean, I was not um, there for him really on an emotional level at all in the fourth grade. But what happened was, it was a couple months after I moved there, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I've am I'm, i done good for a couple months. I deserve to go drink. So I went down to the local uh Albertsons, which is in Oregon. And I remember going down the aisle looking for their vodka. And I had to ask a clerk, excuse me, where's your hard alcohol? And they said, ma'am, we have a liquor store. And it was on a Sunday. We have a liquor store around the corner. This is a state-run liquor state, you know, but we do serve, uh, we do sell beer and wine. So I got enough to do the job. And then I was off and running again. You know, that was a short stint, um, but that's what I did. Then I met one of my neighbors, um, and I remember really wanting to do this deal so bad. And part of my story is it's not like I haven't tried to stay sober. I have been dunked and sprinkled so many times in so many different organized religions thinking that is what was going to keep me sober. And it didn't, because by Monday night I was usually drunk. And then I would sit back and say, well, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I saw them in a bar, but, you know, look at me. I'm right there, too. So I remember um, my neighbor asked if I wanted to go um, out and shoot some pool at a local tavern. And I said, you know, sure, I'll go. So we went out, and there was a really scary guy there. (laughs) That was really kind I liked. (laughs) And he was really scary. And he came and he sat down. I guess they gravitated towards me. I don't know. But um, his name was Fred. And I remember going, you know, there's other women, though, over there you can go talk to. And he's like, no, I'm fine. And he got in my face and started buying me drinks. So we went home that... He didn't come home that time with me. The next week, my neighbor Jeff comes over and says, hey, Karen, you want to go out and shoot some pool or throw some darts? I'm like, yeah, let's go. This time, I'm already drinking, like, every other day. And in my head, I'm like, oh, maybe that scary guy will be there. And, you know, he was. He was there. And uh, that night... This is how I dated. He ended up coming home with me. And so we were together. And uh, he stayed there for a couple months, didn't leave. And then I get a call my son's birthday's in June. And uh, <laughs> I get a call from jail that he had just gotten a DUI on my son's birthday and that I needed to go um, see his mom for bail money. And I went, okay. And so, of course, I drink a couple, I remember this vividly, I drink a couple shots of Jägermeister before I'm going to go meet my new mother-in-law. So I go out there, and she gives me the money, and she says, whatever you do, he cannot come here, but here's his bail money. Don't tell his dad. And so I go down to the jail, and I'm going to get Fred out of jail because he got a DUI on my son's birthday. Isn't that normal, what we do for our kid's birthday? And so they said, you know what? We need to release him to a responsible party. And and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm it. So he came home to my house on house arrest and stayed there, you know, for the next couple months. And then that worked out really good because he ended up proposing to me. And so, of course, my next husband was an unemployed man that was on house arrest at my house. So we got engaged and uh, it worked. You know, I I don't want to say it didn't work because alcohol did work we had a lot of fun you know but we i mean i look back now and i think of some of the times that i just am amazed i know god was doing for me what i couldn't do for myself because i should not be here today you know and he had a son and a lot of times we would end up calling his son to come pick us up but not all the time sometimes we um would drive separate cars sometimes we would meet at a bar sometimes we were camping on lakes I mean it was crazy I remember even taking my granddaughters out when they were really young on on lakes and partying with them and not what they weren't drinking but me and Fred were and it was such a danger that we put our family in jeopardy Um but it's. but I wanna say that that happened for a while then I remember his mom said are you sure you wanna marry Fred he's such an alcoholic and for me I was like, sure, because I'm the kind of person I like to hide my alcohol, and I could blame him for my drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the last Christmas before we got sober, um, my mom called me. We had gone up to, Cal- gone down to California and spent some time with my mom. Um, about four days down at my mom's house for Christmas because I wanted to spend time with her. Well, what what I remember of. We spent time in the garage, me, my husband, and my son, drinking and smoking. And then I had my own bottles out in the truck in the back. So I was throwing my bottles in the truck. And I remember after we came home, my mom called and said, there's a bunch of empty bottles in this truck out here, Karen. And I said, hold up, Fred. You know, and that's what I did. I blamed Fred all the time, all the time. Um, And then, you know, that last year when I, I mean, I started drinking daily, And it got really scary, you know, but I wasn't as bad as him yet. Mm -hmm. He was 10 years older than me, and I could see his health really going. I'm like, I'm not that bad yet. So I had a neighbor who was in AA. Her name is Margo. And I used to tell Margo, I just, I can't believe my husband's drinking so bad. He needs to go get help, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I would just complain to her all the time. And she goes, there is a program, you know. And so, don't you know, one night drunk again, I go show up at the Al-Anon meeting at the Presbyterian Church. (laughs) And there was four people there, and I'm (sighs) reeking of alcohol, and I was kind of pissed because they didn't tell me how to fix my husband, so I didn't return to Al-Anon. But Fred had gotten DUI, so he was court-ordered, another DUI, court-ordered to go to um, AA, and I remember him coming home with this blue book, and this is about two months before I got sober. We were sitting in our recliner. I had my tumbler full of my drink. And I'm sitting there sipping on it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to read Chapter to the Wives to you. That's going to fix you. <laughs> and my, my son still to this day will laugh about me sitting in the recliner preaching to, to Fred as I'm drinking. you know. And, and I got pissed off because Chapter to the Wives doesn't tell me how to fix my husband. It says I'm supposed to be loving and patient. I'm like, this sucks. And so, you know, by that time, our home had been in foreclosure a couple times within the last couple years. I still had a job. I was the only one really employed. He wasn't real employable, but we, I just loved him dearly. And um, I should have been fired from my job the way my um, employment was. But I think sometimes as alcoholics, we have great personalities that keep us there for whatever reason. But I think I was going by a thin string. Um, My family relations weren't that good, except for I would call my sister drunk on Sundays and she never knew I was drunk. But she would remind me of the conversations that we had. And so I remember trying to control my drinking right before I came into AA. I'm like, okay, so I'm drinking daily. This time I got invited to go out to the martini bar. I'm like, I'm not going to drink before I go. I'm only going to have two martinis and I'm going to come home. I didn't even make it out of the neighborhood. There was a, a, a gas station liquor store right there. Before I pulled in, filled up my cup, and it was only three miles into town but I couldn't go without my alcohol even at that point and I made sure I had enough so that when I came home I would still be okay I remember saying that I would never drink in the mornings but I had also heard that someone said a shot will help you with the morning jitters and that's to the point that I got and I was really scared because I remember just sitting there going Karen how did you get here And so my neighbor one night on a Thursday came over on my porch. I used to sit on my porch and have all these grandiose ideas of what I wanted my life to be and where I wanted to go. And she was there, and I said, Margo, you know, I need to be honest with you. It's not, well, Fred may have a problem, but I do too. And she got all excited and said, great, can you stay sober tomorrow? And I'm like, I don't know, I'll try. And she goes, I'll take you to a meeting tomorrow. And tomorrow it was Friday, and it was payday. And I said, okay. And I'm bawling, and I'm blowing snot bubbles. Okay, I'll go. (laughs) The next day rolls around, and I cashed my paycheck. I packed my bag, and I had no intentions on going to that AA meeting. None. Um, My house was situated on, we had an acre. It was like in the middle of the acre, and hers was closer to the road. My plan was, I was done living. I was going to, although my bag was packed, in case I lived, I don't know. But I was going to throw my truck in front of a semi on Highway 97. That was my plan. And I I remember backing down that highway, that my driveway, and Margo popped out, and she says, Hey, Karen, are you going to that meeting? And I said, Yes, I am, Margo. And she goes, Wait a minute. I need a ride. Right. At that moment, that's where God showed up. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself because I had no intentions on going to that meeting. That night... I heard two speakers and they both I could identify with both of them so for whatever reason and I don't recommend this I detoxed myself in my home for the next three days I sat on my hands we had a detached studio apartment there and I sat in that apartment and I locked myself away from Fred because he was drinking and wanting me to party with him and I said no I can't and I went to uh, Margot's home group was a 7 a.m. meeting it was called, uh, I forget the name, Attitude Adjustment is what it was. And so I remember going in there, and that I, I was shocked because there was a lot of people in there, and they all knew I was brand new to AA. And I'm like, how do they know I'm new? Well, you know, I, I get it now. And so what I heard that day was, don't drink in between meetings and keep coming back. That really scared me because I was thinking, I don't know if I can go another 24 without a drink. That meeting's not until 7 a.m. I don't know what I'm going to do. I grabbed Margo, and she goes, Karen, there's a meeting at 5.30. I said, oh, okay. So my work was only five minutes away, so i got to do the 7 a.m. meeting, go to work, and then come back to the 5.30 meeting. I call those my bookend meetings. Um, At about two weeks sober, I'm feeling good. I'm not identifying with any of you because I haven't lost my house. I haven't lost a job. I didn't get a DUI. And I literally get up and walk out of that meeting on a 7 a.m. meeting because I'm good. I got this. There was a lady that chased me down. She literally came out of the meeting and said, where are you going? And I said, well, I think I'm good. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, and I explained to her, I'm not identifying with this, you know, and I, I haven't drank for two weeks. I'm good now. And she goes, let me read you something. She had her 12 and 12 with her. And she read this. It was obviously necessary to raise the bottom of the rest of us had to hit to the point where it would hit them. By going back in our own drinking histories, we could show that years before we realized it, we were out of control. That our drinking, even then, was no mere habit. That it was indeed the beginning of a fatal progression. The doubters could say, perhaps you're not an alcoholic after all. Why don't you go try some more controlled drinking? Bearing in mind, meanwhile, what we have told you about alcoholism. You know, and that... I went okay I started thinking about my own drinking and at that point you know I really did think about all the people I had already lost I had left a huge wreckage of past friends that had died of alcoholisms and drug overdoses already in my past and I want to say I started getting some clarity then I I got guilted into service meetings I got guilted into the inner group There was a couple people there that said, we have some fun events happening. So I stuck around, and they said, we need help with the entertainment committee. And I said, what? And they said, we have fun events. Karen, help us with the New Year's. Help us with this. Help us with the Thanksgiving thing. And you know, that's what I did. I need to back up a little bit. August 1st, Fred got sober. I got a call on my cell phone leaving a meeting one day from the EMTs that they were at my house and they said I should take him to the hospital. He did go um, to the VA hospital, I'm indebted to forever. Um, he ended up staying in White City, which is by Medford, and I am in Bend. So at this time we would only see each other on weekends, which I look back now and that was the best year of our life. Both of us in recovery was really special. Um, so I'm, I'm doing the entertainment committee, Fred's coming home on the weekends, life is good. But I have to be honest with you. I, at about six months sober, I was a dry drunk and I kept hearing you guys tell me to get a sponsor and do the steps. And I also saw people die in AA within those few months that weren't doing the deal. They hadn't done their step work. So I knew that if I didn't get a sponsor and do these steps, I was going to die. And I, I had, I don't know if it was in a grapevine I found it or what, but I had the idea. I had a couple women in mind And I was going to hold interviews. And really, to this day, I can't understand why Patty even agreed to this, because it's just so out of her character. But I had five women lined up, and she was the first one. And I guess I looked pretty desperate. And I said, you know, I'm looking for a sponsor. And I had a couple requirements. The requirements were, and I didn't tell her this. In my mind, I wanted them to be married to another alcoholic. I wanted them to have children. I wanted... um, the most important thing was to take me through the steps in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous because someone had tried by another form of literature and it wasn't okay. Um, and the fourth thing was I wanted to be equally spiritually yoked with her. <laughs> At six months without doing the steps, so anyway, she came over to my house and I interviewed her. And you know, I heard in my head Karen because I'm like, okay, she's got she's got the husband, got the kid. I know she does the Big Book. I don't know shit about her spirituality. And I heard, it's none of my business. She's got 12 years sober. You don't. I heard that voice in my head. And so I'm like, okay. She goes, well, I know you have other interviews. I'm like, no, please don't go. I want you to be my sponsor. So, you know, it's, it's a miracle today um, from Ben Dorgan, She's moved down to Yuma, and she is still my sponsor. I've had a couple in between when I've moved. She's made me get a face-to-face. But she is my sponsor again. Um, getting into the steps you know that is vital for this alcoholic step one honesty that principle about honesty really admitting that I'm an alcoholic fully admitting to my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic and that's what I had to do in this program and I have no doubt I am an alcoholic you know step two um, the principle behind step two is hope I heard hope by you guys saying over and over do these things get a home group get a service commitment Um, Get a sponsor. Do the steps. You know, you guys kept saying that. So those were the things that I was doing. I was hoping that I would never ever have to drink again like you guys said. That third step, you know, um, faith is the principle behind that third step. And I think I needed permission to get the God of my understanding. Because like I said, I had been dunked and baptized in so many different organized religions. But never had the connection with the God of my own understanding. And in my third step work, I had to memorize the third step prayer, rewrite it in my own words, and write down the characteristics of a God of my own understanding. And I think that was in part two, but I carried it over to three. And that's um, really when things started changing. The fourth and fifth step was ones I didn't want to do. I wasn't going to do when I first came in. The fourth step came around. She took me through the steps and the columns in the big book and only gave me two weeks to do them. She knew better than to let me sit on it. She knew the craziness in my head. But you know, each step for me was a spiritual experience. It was like, I mean, by this time, you know, they build on each other in such an amazing way. You got that honesty, you got that hope, you got that faith. And fourth step is the courage the courage to do this. You know, and I was sitting there writing and I had like one thing I wasn't going to tell anybody I'm taking it to my grave and that's okay very much, you know. But I remember I had invited a couple ladies with not a lot of sobriety. Over to my house because we were going to do it. We were going to have coffee and step step four work and talk about it with each other because I was terrified about it. One of the gals at one time had had 20 years and relapsed, and she had one. And I asked Tony, I said, Tony, do I really have to tell Patty everything? And she goes, I believe that's why I relapsed because I didn't. And I went, shit. So I had my appointment with my sponsor, took a couple hours, we went through the process. Um, In step five, the principle is integrity. And, you know, I started for the first time in my life seeing how I played a part in my life. Um, That first ex-husband that I had, you know, I could see where I was very dishonest by marrying him because I wasn't in love with him. I not only ruined, you know, his life, mine too, you know. So I got to see my part in some of these things and, and in my life on where I had let that fight at high school keep me from... I had blamed somebody for kicking my butt that I wasn't ever going to go back to school again. You know, those were the kind of things that I was keeping and holding on to in my resentments and my fear. My fears were huge. I didn't have alcohol as a courage anymore. Um, that fifth step, when I got done, we were sitting in Patty's room, and I said, I'm going to go out and smoke a cigarette. I'm all done. Whew. So I go out, and I sit on her porch, and I'm smoking a cigarette on the step, and she looks at me, and she goes, well, is there anything you're going to take to your grave that you haven't told me? And I was just like, yeah, there is. And you know what? It's between me and God. And I I, I had her over a barrel because when she would get nervous, she would do this rocking. She still does it today. And I'm like, okay, it's between me and God. What am I going to tell you? I'm not going to tell you. And she said, it can't be as bad as blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, my God, how did you know? And she goes, That wasn't even on my fourth step and I'm like oh my god and it was not only a spiritual experience for me once again God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself and you know the remaining steps it was a very spiritual experience for her because she had no clue where that came from but we do know that was God speaking through her through me so there is another person in this world that I can trust that loves and loves me unconditionally with no judgment Six and seven, willingness and humility. Those steps were really important because doing my fifth step, she was taking notes, writing down my character defects and um, what to replace them with. So I got to take a real good look at that. And I'm so grateful for the 12 and 12 because it goes into a lot more depth. Um, Eight was just making a list, using my fourth step, not burning it, but using my fourth step as far as the names of people that I was going to make amends to and others that I had harmed. And she said, I can put that list into ready-to-do amends now, maybe someday, and no, never. And, you know, at that time, I was carrying around three bags of unopened mail. So I had a lot of financial wreckage in my past. I had IRS. I had state taxes. I had done a lot of damage. Um, And so I remember doing those, and as I was doing those amends... It was amazing. Those first ones that I was ready to do, now they were done. And those ones that maybe someday started moving over to that first column that I was ready. And those no-nevers, they're not there anymore. But the most important thing is that you I, I know that it's the living amend. And on September, it was September second, two 2006, me and Fred, he was getting ready to get out of the White City VA Hospital, and he was going to be coming home in 22 days. And I had finished steps 10 and 11, Um, 10 was continued to take that personal inventory and when wrong promptly admitted it, you know, and that is, uh, oh, I want to say perseverance on that one. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't like that word. That's self-control. You know, I have to really learn to keep doing that. Not self-control. I want to say, what is that word? Step 10 principle. Oh, I'm going to have to look at my notes. Anyway, so I had been doing step 10 and then step 11. On September 2nd, we were over in... South of Salem area, we went to go see his daughter to do face to face amends with our daughter and the step, step grandchildren, my step grandchildren. My granddaughters call me Grandma Karen today. And it was such a beautiful experience. We spent three days with them. And it was amazing. Normally, because I was in, you know, we ended up getting hotel room, the grandkids stayed with us, we barbecued at the hotel. I mean, we had a great time. I got to watch Fred um, do an amends to his ex wife. You know, I got to see these things, and we got to -to face-to-face say that we wanted to be better parents, better grandparents. Um, After that day, and me, and Fred had a real important moment on the 11th step, you know, that uh, St. Francis prayer, that 11th step prayer. And we had come to a realization that we were at the best point of our marriage when we both had this aha moment, that it's better to give love than to receive love. And it is. So, I drop him off that morning at the VA hospital after we had done our beautiful amends and I had not gone to work that day. Um, It was Labor Day weekend and I had taken, I believe it was that Tuesday off. And uh, I go back over the mountain and I call Patty and I tell her how wonderful the weekend was and how me and Fred had this aha moment. That night, or that day at the meeting, I went to a noon meeting and I got asked to be a sponsor for the first time. I was so excited. I ended up calling Fred going, Oh my God! and he was so excited he was so excited for me and he goes oh Karen this is such a great experience you're going to grow so much from this and he was already sponsoring men at the VA hospital at that time and you know um, I had planned a entertainment end of summer entertainment committee meeting at my house that night so I had three other alcoholics there and I got a call from the chaplain that my husband had been in a bad accident he had been hit while riding his bicycle and that he was having surgery And uh, at that moment, I just remember sliding down the wall. But you guys were there with me. I had one person calling my sponsor. I had one person in the backyard. I knew Kevin was praying for me. And I had one person (laughs) sitting with me. And I waited, you know, and I knew I had to go and I had to make a couple phone calls. And I was like really in shock. But we went over to White City that night, drove over there. Patty even let me smoke in her car. And, you know, it was like, he, he didn't make it, he was gone. He was gone when we got there. And I got a chance to talk to a couple people. And, you know, it was really kind of hard for me because I don't like to play the victim role anymore, but he was hit by an illegal that wasn't of this country. And they fled the scene, but they did get caught. And there was a court, there was trial. Um, and they did get some time, and they did get taken back um, to where they were from. And uh, But you guys never left my side. That, the next day, we had to go to the hospital, and I collected his belongings, and, and wonderful things were said about him by many of the vets there. Um, and I remember going home. We had to go over the mountain pass that night, and Patty said, I have a business meeting we've got to go to. And I'm like, oh, no, that's nice. I'm glad you do. I know it's my home group, but I'm not going. At that time, I was chairing a newcomer meeting on Wednesday night at 530. And uh, she goes, oh, yeah, I remember an early sobriety. I'm like, Patty, she goes, it's not about you, Karen. And I'm like, what? And she said, I remember an early sobriety where I got sober. They had podiums, and they would have to go up to the podium to to speak. And she goes, there was a gal one time that went up to the podium and said that her mother had died and that she had nowhere else to go and didn't know what else to do but to be in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous to stay sober. And she goes, as a newcomer that she was at that time, how it affected her. And I said, I I wasn't going to win this one with her. And I'm like, okay, but I get to wear my sunglasses. So I remember pulling up and I'm serious. I did not want to go into that. I just wanted to go home. And I pull into that meeting, and there were two girls there, Pam and Arden, that were newcomers. And they asked me, what the hell are you doing here? We're so sorry that Fred didn't make it. We heard that he, he was killed. And I said, where else have I got to go but Alcoholics Anonymous? You know. And that night, you guys stayed with me, came home to my house, and, t- and stayed with me until my family came in a couple days. But I want to go back to that service commitment, that damn service commitment at 5.30 on Wednesday night for freaking newcomers. You know I wanted to give it up. You know what saved my life? Being in service in Alcoholics Anonymous. You guys, Patty's husband, Bill, he he organized a whole celebration of life service, and all you guys showed up for that, and my family. My mom and sister came up and and a niece from California, and at that time, I remember my mom was really scared to leave me alone. A fresh widow, sober, only 15 months, you know, of sobriety I had. I had just given Fred his year coin a month before. And uh, I remember Robin telling my mom, you know, you're leaving her in good hands. And my mom said, I see that. So what peace of mind that gave my parent, my mom, my family, um... You know, and I just think that it's so important to do the steps. And this is the first time I've really changed up my story and incorporated the steps. The steps, step 12 is about service work, you know, and carrying these principles in all our affairs. But I really truly believe to this day if I wouldn't have done those steps before Fred was killed, I would not have stayed sober. So I am a firm believer in getting your steps done. You know, finding that person. Grab a sponsor. Grab somebody. Grab somebody get them done, you know. Um, and I do know that that commitment saved my life, that service work saved my life, along with sponsorship and, and you people. You all taught me how to do this one day at a time. <sighs> today my life is completely different. Sometimes I have to pinch myself. It's amazing. Sometimes I feel I was sharing with someone, I don't know how I got here. It's so good, you know, but it is today. And I know it's uh, it's... The higher power that I have. Oh, and I got a really cool story. Okay, so I'm going to back up that step 11 where we get to um, improve, you know, our conscious contact, prayer, and meditation. So that, to me, has kind of been a, a playground. The God of my understanding keeps growing. So recently, I went to hear a friend speak. So I did, I sometimes do metaphysical events, and this is really fun. And I went, and it was so amazing because I met um, Dr. Bob's granddaughter, Penny at this metaphysical event, and she is a reverend. And it was really neat to see her. And I'm thinking, if I wasn't doing these steps and growing my spirituality, as weird as it is, I mean, people do it all different ways. You guys said we could. Um, it was really neat. She said, and I, I, I want to end with this, her words were, you know, my grandpa, Dr. Bob, if it would have been up to him. It would have stayed in Ohio in the 12 beds in the hospital. And if it was up to Bill, Bill would have sold it and franchised it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh my gosh, is that not divinely god it or what? You know, God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And with that, I'm internally I'm grateful for this program. And thank you for letting me oh, share. Thank you.